very warm welcome to Two Parkinson's Pod, the podcast for people with Parkinson's by people with Parkinson's. I'm Dave, he's Kuhn. Together we've had the condition for nearly a quarter of a century. Do you like what I did at the top well, there? I was, I'm, I'm a bit confused. What, what is that uh, intro? The seagulls went in first. The what? The seagulls went in first. I, yeah. I normally, I normally mix subtly the, the seagulls in after the music, but I've done it the other way around just because I'm, oh. I'm a bit of a devil. It's you know? a seagull first day, is it? Yeah, exactly, all exactly. Right. Perfect. Excellent. I want to talk to you about a documentary I watched last night. Okay. If, if that's all right to start with. Sure. It's called Live to 100, Secrets of the Blue Zones. I thought there's loads of tips in there that parkies could use. Um, There's six blue zones around the world where people live over 100 on a regular basis. Blue zones in water or...? No, blue zones, they just call them blue zones where where people live a long time. And Okinawa in Japan, Ikaria, Greece, Sardinia in Italy, Nicoya, Costa Rica, Loma Linda in California. And people there live a lot longer than normal. And... Can I can I get, can I guess why? Yeah, go on. Because I've been to Okinawa. Right, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, and the thing that I took away from there is the food. The food was just so healthy and fresh, and a lot of seafood. And um, obviously, the weather was nice. But um, is the theme about nutrition and diet? Partly nutrition and diet. The same things that keep us, you know, have a long and healthy life. Are the things that make life worth living as well. So, mm. um, friendship. Mm. Tending your garden helps as well. Mm. Growing your own food, walking, stretching. Places with hills, people live longer because mm. the heart rate gets going. Oh, right. Apparently, if you play tennis, you live longer, which is really? great news for us. Well, one of us plays tennis, one <laughs> of us doesn't. Yeah, one of us loses. <laughs> um, and get rid of gadgets that, like your Hoover and stuff. Sweep up. That helps. Um, the Japanese have this have this saying, ikigai, which is... Ikigai. Mean, means life. Iki means is Japanese for life. And guys is value and worth. So it's need, getting I, up every day and you need a worth, something, something to get up for, you know? Yeah, ikika, I quite like that. Ikiga. What's, the, what's the word when the, the word sounds like the meaning of the word? Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. I can't think of that either. But, but uh, I, I like that. Uh, yeah. And I like those themes, very relevant yeah. to, to, to people I, with Parkinson's. I think people sit on the floor, that's good, good as well. Mm. You don't sit in your, on your sofa all the time. Mm. Sit on the floor. Mm. Um, they tend to work in the mornings, which, mm. which parkies do as well. Yeah. Rest in the afternoons. But I, I, I thought about this, and we, I've got a beautiful apple tree out there, so I'd like you to go and pick my first apple of the season. So get, get, get out there. Go, go outside. Pick up some, pick some apples. Pick, pick the nice juiciest apple on that I'm, tree. Go I'm on, looking go at on. them now. They're, they're massive. Get out. Take your headphones off. Go pick, <laughs> a, pick, pick the nicest <laughs> apple. Yeah, I'll be back. All right. He's walking out now. It's right. not, not a big guy. It's a London terrace house, but he's... Go get the nice, biggest, juiciest apple on there, and you can have that as a present from me. You're a Vicky guy. Perfect. He's going out to the tree now. Find a nice, big, juicy one with the nice red bits on. He's, he's, he's going up to the tree. He might, he's, he's looking at the olive tree. Silly fool. <laughs> the apple tree is the one with the big apples on it. Perfect. Oh, lovely. He's walking in now with two massive apples, homegrown food. This one's a bit deformed. That's, that's a bit like me. I'll have that one. I'll have this one. Perfect. Sit down, I sit down. Like, I do like my apples. Do, Thank what, you. What type of apples are these? Uh, I'm not sure how they'll, they'll taste this year. Last year they were quite sweet. But I think the longer you leave them on the tree, the sweeter they grow. Right. So there's an, I didn't, didn't realise this was a thing for you. I, I know growing hops is a thing for you, yeah, right? Yeah, I had my hop harvest this, this yeah. year, uh, this last week, and uh, 20 of us around this area grow our own hops. Take it to a brewery, they make yeah. some beer, and we have yeah. a good night on the beers. Yeah, excellent. Free afterwards. So, so gardening was one of the factors for um, longevity. Is it? Is it longevity? Is it about quality of life? It's, it's both. There's, there's a guy there from Costa Rica who's a hundred years old. who was mm. riding a horse mm. and ran up his cattle, and mm. he said he just gets up every morning, mm. 
chop chop wood, carry water. Yeah. So don't these are the best way to stay fit. Yeah. You have to carry your water from the well, yeah. and you have to chop wood to keep yeah. keep active. I just thought you need need a healthy yeah. long life. Perfect. It, it, all these things kind of make sense when you say it, but putting it into action is, is a bit of a challenge. But I do I do feel that you know I spend a lot more time in the in the countryside now and 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 uh, with nature. Um, going on walks, particularly in the morning, as you say, and I just feel a lot better for it. Uh, something about city life, I don't think is mixes well with, with Parkinson's. Um, you know, getting out, fresh air, good quality air, I find is uh, makes a big difference as well. I find London quite quite polluted, and uh, I, I struggle in it sometimes. I just just feel a bit freer. You uh, can still get up and get out in, in yeah, parks and some beautiful parks around London. Yeah, we went to one. Um, uh, the other day, didn't we? We went on a nice long uh, walk for Parkinson's yeah, in Battersea Park. Battersea Park. It was a really good day. Yeah. 300 people there. Raised over 40 grand. Fantastic. Yeah. A man who'd approve of that is our guest today, Johnny Atchison, who's an emergency care doctor in Leicester. He's diagnosed with Parkinson's 2016, aged 41 years of age, and he helps educate people with the condition. He's quite a guy. Great. Let's hear from him now. Johnny Atchison, welcome to Parkinson's in a Pod. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Great to, great to see you guys. Great to see you, Johnny. Uh, just talk, talk us through your diagnosis, because I, I, it was really about you. You've got a lot of similarities between me and you. I was early 40s, two kids, wasn't expecting it out of the blue. Just talk about how, did you diagnose yourself or what? Well, no, I didn't, I didn't actually diagnose myself. So I had a list of things I thought it was, and Parkinson's wasn't on it. So it came as a complete curveball, a real shock. I mean, it was similar to you, Dave. I was 41 when I was diagnosed um my kids were 10 and 6 at the time and I mean it was about six months before I was uh, I got officially diagnosed my, my in-laws came over to to visit and they said to my wife there's something wrong with him he's not his usual self and they couldn't quite put their finger on it about what it was there was nothing specific just a, seemed a bit distant and um we just sort of let it pass they didn't they didn't say anything to me but I was preparing a sort of clinical exams up in the Leicester Medical School as I did every year. And I realized that um, when I was typing, that my left little finger would just tremor slightly. It would just flicker. And it happened now and again. And then the thing that I really noticed was um, my, my mate came into my house one night and he, he said to me, he said, um, you know, I've just been to Bollywood dancing class with my daughter. He, he basically said, do you, want, do you want to learn how to do it? So I was like, yeah. That's fine. So we stood up and he said, I'll teach you how to do the chains and the light bulbs dance. So we stood up in, in, in our living rooms, me, his his daughter and my daughter. And we're all doing this, you know, sort of rotating our wrists around. And um, I realized at that stage that, that I couldn't I couldn't rotate my left wrist very quickly. And um, that was the first time I'd noticed that. And I'm right handed, so I don't actually rotate my left wrist that, that, that often. So... If I'm changing the light bulb, I use my right hand, screwdriver, right hand, etc. So I sort of took that in. I kept saying to my, my brain, kept saying to my hand or my wrist, you know, move it quicker, move it quicker, and it, it just, it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't. Mm. So I knew, I knew at that stage I needed to go and see my GP. That Bollywood uh, changing the light bulb thing should be part of the clinical test for Parkinson's, I think, because there's quite a lot of movement in, in one action, isn't there? And with your hands, with it, with your body, and so on, you can you can tell a lot from that. So, am, am I right in assuming that even even though you're a doctor, you, you didn't actually know that much about Parkinson's itself before it hit you personally? Well, I mean, at medical school, you're basically you know you have to cover the whole range of, mm. of medical conditions, so all the all the specialties. 
various things. I think Parkinson's was covered probably over about two days, and that, and that's all the teaching that you get. And it's really it is taught really back in our day of you know an, an older person's disease, people that that have a tremor. So. You know, for me, that day when I went to my GP, I walked in and I said, you know, there's something wrong with me. I can't, I can't rotate my left wrist very quickly. She examined me and then she referred me to the neurology clinic. The next day, as I said, certain things that, that I thought it was. So I thought I might have had multiple sclerosis. I thought I might have had motor neuron disease. I thought um, I might have had a brain tumor or something that was affecting sort of my, my, my balance. But when the neurologist saw me the next day, he got me to walk up and down the clinic. And I had been um, scuffing my foot a lot when I was walking, especially when I was tired. So I walked up the clinic and down again, and I was concentrating really hard. And I didn't scuff, and I thought things you know, might be okay. And then he basically sat me down, and he said, you don't swing your left arm very much. And uh, I, I, um, I had noticed that. And But wh why would you, you know? I just hadn't noticed it. No, nobody had noticed it. And then, and then he turned around and he said, "You know, you've got idiopathic Parkinson's disease." So it was really, um, it really was a, a, a massive, a massive, massive shock. I remember um, being told about the arm swing or lack of arm swing as well when I first saw the neurologist, and uh, I had no idea my, my arm wasn't swinging. I, I remember going home that day, standing in front of the mirror. And just walking up and down the, the living room, and and sure enough, you know, my my arm wasn't swinging. But unless you see yourself in a mirror, you, you don't actually know, right? Um, a lot of these symptoms sort of creep up on you and uh, or, or progress slowly. It's not always immediately obvious. I, I would say, you don't actually wake up with Parkinson's one day. Yeah. It's not a sudden onset condition, and that yeah. makes sort of self-diagnosis particularly quite challenging and of course the fact that you were young and um you know you weren't the stereotypical image of a person with parkinson's i don't think any of us were were you know le leads to a rather complicated diagnosis yeah. it's interesting you said about the brain tumor as well because one of the things i thought was it might be a brain tumor so in the end when i got a parkinson's diagnosis it came as a bit of a relief so uh, how, how did you feel having gone through the list of uh, potential conditions it could be and then you ended up with parkinson's was it uh, was it good good news in that respect uh, relative to other other conditions it could have been i mean it's, it's difficult to, it's difficult to say i mean i think i think with anything in medicine or in life really until you know what you're dealing with you can't really adjust yourself to deal with it so you know if, if it had been something else you really would would, would adjust to to what you need to adjust to if you know what i mean so parkinson's for me was a was a really it was a blank canvas i didn't really know anything about it about what it, except from what i learned in medical school talking about going back to the um the uh, change in the light bulb uh, it would be really interesting to know if people who are right-handed who who present with um, you know, right hand, right sided symptoms, are are probably diagnosed quicker than people who who aren't. So you know, if if you're if you're if your Parkinson's affects the side that that your your handedness is in is in, I think potentially you, you may be diagnosed maybe maybe slightly quicker um, compared to people whose Parkinson's affects the side that they're not dominant on. You're 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 left you're left sided. Kuhn's uh, left side as well. I, I'm right sided. Yeah. So so I think I think because I use my right side, and my, I noticed my writing was getting smaller. That was one yeah. of the first things I noticed. So so if I if I if my mate hadn't come into me that night and I, and done that rotation 
of, of my wrist. I don't think I would have been down in my GP for maybe another six months or mm. or, or, or potentially a, a, a year because there was there was that was the that was a really noticeable thing. And and did you go on the meds straight away or was there a gap? Um, so I, I basically started resazzling pretty much the day I was diagnosed and then um and then I didn't start levodopa for eighteen months. It was great. I mean, levodopa is a, is a really good drug. It, it works. It works really well. Um, you know, I changed neurologist because I, my initial neurologist was a, a neurologist that I uh, worked with within the medical school and within Leicester Hospital. So whenever I was sitting in the waiting room, waiting to go in, people would come up to me and go, "Oh, what are you? What are you doing here? Mm-hmm. What? 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 Why? What? Why are you here?" And I didn't really want to tell people at that stage. So um. So I moved neurologist and, and I sat down at the first appointment and I said, I feel terrible. I said, I'm so tired. And, um, you know, he goes, well, I'm not surprised. He says, that's because you're so under-medicated. Um, he goes, you, you need levodopa. And literally, it took three, 300 milligrams of levodopa and, and, and 10 milligrams of repineral to get my uh, arm to swing again. Mm-hmm. You know, when I look back and I think, could it have been done differently? There is this reluctance, isn't there, for people to go on the medication? Labor dopa, you know, it's it's the golden gold standard, you know. And I, it made a massive difference to me. I couldn't have carried on working without labor dopa. I, I stayed off it for two years. I was so pleased when I went on it because it just it just changed my life massively. I mean, it was it was like literally it was literally for me like somebody getting an oil can and like literally pouring it on my, on my, on my joints. You know, just giving me that that degree of flexibility. The, the tiredness went, you know, I was moving much more freely. I wasn't scuffing my foot. I felt I felt a lot better. I didn't feel as if yeah. I had Parkinson's. Yeah, I've heard this quite a lot, actually, that the concept of people actually getting better initially because, uh, you know, they're replacing that, that lost dopamine up until the point that, you know, maybe you get side effects of the medication or you're having to take more and so on. But there is this initial... Uh, period where in one way you could view it as getting better and I, th- I think the debate as to when to start the medication you, you're right it's a very personal thing in terms of what you need to be able to do to carry out your your, your daily function particularly if you're if you're still working but you know I went on it pretty much straight away st- straight to levodopa ribinarol is a dopamine agonist isn't it it's, it's a way of deferring the use of of levodopa that's why it's favored sometimes but i think more recent research suggests it doesn't really matter when you start taking levodopa you're going to feel the side effects at the same point and and side effects we're talking about are things like wearing off and dyskinesia which i'm I'm experiencing both right right now as well do you now five six years in are you experiencing it wearing off at the start, I wasn't wearing off at all. Each medication dose would last about six hours. Now a dose of levodopa or stilivo, sort of one, two, five, will last about three hours for me. I'll wear off in a way of, um, in three different ways. So I can wear off motor-wise. What happens is my left leg gets very stiff. My left arm just hangs down by my side. But I'm still able to function. I would always say that. I would say to my Parkinson's nurse, I'm wearing off. You know, I'm, I'm I'm off, and she's like, no, no, you're not. Your dopamine levels are, are are just low. You can still function. You know, you can still walk. I can still run when when, when I'm wearing off. I can still be active, doing all those things. My hand might just tremor slightly more. Um, so I think it's important to 
to realize the difference between sort of wearing off and truly, truly off, um, which is interesting. Um, and then obviously you've got the you know, no motor wearing off as well, which I think for me mm. is more of a problem. It's the Likewise. one thing I, re I really, really struggle with. Fatigue, and, particularly? Uh, well, well, it's, it's interesting. It, it's, I feel a bit knackered, but it's hard to explain to people. But the two things that I, that I notice are um, I actually get hyperactive. I, oh, I, yeah, so do I. I, I speed, I, I think it's, I speed up. My talking gets quicker. I'll fire stuff out really quickly. Um, I'll be constantly fidgeting. Um, I'm unable to sit still. I'm unable to sort of wait my turn. And you got to see me in a Zoom meeting when I'm when I'm wearing off. It's a it's a it's a disaster. So I'll I'll butt in. I'll, I'll you know everybody's putting their hands up and I'll just start talking over people. Um, I'll interrupt conversations. And then the other side of it is sort of the difficulty with concentrating and focusing. So mm. you know I really struggle with sort of a short attention span not being able to stick to tasks that maybe take a long time, um, mm. not not appearing not to listen or carry out instructions and, and having difficulty organizing things. And that's really difficult to mm. deal with and it's really difficult to explain to people um, yeah. what, 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 what it's, it's like. It's bloody annoying is what I call it. It's yeah. uh, it's on the tip of your mouth syndrome. You know, when you, when you can't, the words are kind of there, but they're, they're not coming out. And likewise, your, your thought process, your, your ability to make decisions, planning, it, it all just gets like a, you know, brain fog, isn't it? And it's very, very uh, debilitating. Yeah. Interesting what you're saying about um, how you you talk faster when you're going off. Is that because you feel you're going off and you, and you, you want to get it out? Or is it is there something else? I'm not sure whether the the, the anxiety levels are mm. so high when I'm wearing off that I just naturally try to get it all out or it's the body's way of trying to compensate for the fact that it knows that that I'm wearing off it tries to mm. it tries to counterbalance that but does it in a in an over in a, in a Too much. More, more pronounced way it's, yeah. it's, I get the same thing because I noticed on the podcast I was speaking really quickly at times and it's almost like I had to set a metronome in my mind to slow down my speech deliberately and it was, yeah. it was it was it was running away with me you know i was being, talking so quickly that it, it was ridiculous and i'm a broadcaster and i used to speak quite slowly and my speech was quicking me up quite quite significantly i can tell dave you're actually making conscious effort to slow down yeah, yeah. slow down your speech yeah. now aren't you uh, but yeah and um, you've mentioned it i think some of our listeners have mentioned it oh dave you talk so quickly and i know you're, you're conscious of it because you know that that's your that's your bread and butter and that's your background but mm -hmm. parkinson's affects people's speech and it affects people's ability to communicate as a result and that's why relationships whether it's with colleagues or family or friends you know become that much more more challenging and and I don't know about you guys, but for me, it's like I'm, I'm a little bit like Jekyll and Hyde. I'm just two different, yeah. two different people. The the difference, the transition is, is quite remarkable. Yeah. And it, like I said, it's quite it's quite annoying to be honest because sometimes yeah. I feel like the condition can kid you because when you're on, yeah. if I'm on at my peak, I could almost feel like I don't have this condition. Yeah. There are certain days, certain moments, I feel like I don't have this condition. But then you know, half an hour, an hour later. I'll take a dive. Just talking about uh, communication and language, what do you say to non-parkies that you're off? 
How, how do you think it's interpreted? I would, I would, I would say um, my, my family notice it more now than my children notice it now. So my son will say, you're, you're, you're well off is the way he describes it. Um, or um, <laughs> they say, you know... You're, not you're, in a monetary sense. No, 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 exactly. exactly. <laughs> in the sense of, yeah, in the medication sense. But he, he notices it. He, and, you know, I'm, I'm a bit... I realise and probably I'm wearing off. I don't realise the impact. That, that, that it's having on them but uh, I, don't, I don't there's days where I would you know wear off there's days that my medication just doesn't seem to work at all for, 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 for long for prolonged periods of time and you know I've never really understood why why that isn't very much in now being more rigid around 45 minutes before and after tablets you know trying to not take food yeah. you know, keep the protein down I don't make a point in public of saying I'm, I'm off. You know, in, in work, a lot of my off time is I'm in my office. So I will mm. I'll do my ward round early in the morning, start at nine, finish mm. it at half ten. I'm usually wearing mm. off by 11. You know, so that, and I'm usually sitting down in my office. By the time I go back over to do the ward round in the afternoon, I'm back, I'm back on again. So it, mm. uh, you, can t you can time it to a degree around, around, um, around things but there's this magical time in the morning isn't it when when you, your dopamine has been recharged overnight and you get you know seven to eight or whatever you're feeling great and then you take your meds and you, you're on for a good good couple of hours and the mornings we played tennis this morning we're both fine you know brilliant and running around the, the court like nothing nothing was wrong with us eight o'clock this morning playing tennis yeah, I mean, we're at, we're at our best in in, in the mornings, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I do hear what you're saying, Johnny. About you almost have to schedule your off time or manage your off time, don't you? And I tend to do the same. You know, if I if I need to be on a call or or do some emails or something that particularly requires some concentration. Going back to what we said earlier yeah. in terms of the impact of wearing off, I try and manage those things to do those things or schedule those things where possible when I know I'm going to have an off on period, which invariably is is the morning. Oh, and I was going to ask, I think you partly answered it there. I gave up my full-time job a couple of years ago, so did Dave. Uh, but, you know, you're still holding down a, a job, right? So how else have you adapted your job and how's your employer reacted to all of this? So um, I think the short answer is I wouldn't be working still if my employer hadn't made adjustments. Simple as that. I, after about three years of after being diagnosed, I moved out of the main ED, and I work in a, or an observational ward now um, beside our ED, which sees basically emergency department patients who need to be observed for 24 hours and uh, to decide whether they need to be admitted or discharged or they need further investigation. So I don't see the acute ambulances anymore because I can't, it makes me very symptomatic. It's very tiring. So they, they, they've made a lot of, a lot of, Good changes to, to help me manage. Um, I don't do nights. I, do, I you know don't work after six o'clock at night. So all, all that's been been good because it's given me um, routine. And I think routine is really important for people with Parkinson's to be able to continue to manage their symptoms on a, on a daily basis. And then I've started last year started working with the Parkinson's Excellence Network one day a week. So I I joined the clinical leadership team there as a director of engagement. So. Basically, I get to live with it and work work with it. So mm. it's uh, it's it's been a good that's been a good development, really. Um, but if 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 that if I worked in a hospital where that um, facility of observational medicine didn't exist, I, I would have had to give up my job 
uh, you know, pretty much after about three or four years. Yeah, I, I'll just read some stats, stats to you that sort of evidences. On average, people uh, retire from work five years after diagnosis. But two thirds would have stayed on at work if their employer had offered more flexible working. I think there's a lesson here and a, and a duty and an obligation on employers to recognise that Parkinson's impacts both physically and mentally and um, they should accommodate for that. And, you know, maybe things are changing post-COVID and in the new world. But um, I, I do feel like there's a lot of people that sort of give up their work prematurely. Yeah. And if they had some way to adapt or some way to be more flexible, yeah. then they, they would happily continue. And, it, and I think it would be that in itself would be to the benefit of their mental health as well. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think people, people are, are people... Are, are covered under the Equality Act of 2020. Mm. So employers have to make reasonable adjustments. So it's law, they have to be seen to make reasonable adjustments to ensure that people, that everything that can be done is done for people to adjust and, and continue, yeah. continue well, their work. There is the other side of the equation. I'll just read out a couple more stats. 43% of people delay telling their colleagues. 70% of people worry that they would be considered to not being up to the job. So I think that's the other side of things. You know, there's responsibility on employer, but also there's um, responsibility on the individual as well. Or rather, you know, they sh they shouldn't be shy to to speak up yeah. and um, ask for help or ask for that flexibility that they need. I um I told my consultant colleagues um pretty much immediately. I didn't tell any of the nurses for two years until I was limping up the corridor one day and somebody went, "What's wrong with your leg?" And then I was like, well, I need to tell people and I need to start some levodopa. But uh, I know every, you know everybody knows, so it's not... It's not, it's not you've, you've got to be ready for that, though, Johnny, haven't you? It's, it's oh, one yeah. thing getting the diagnosis. It's another thing committed mm. to... It's like people mourn on your behalf when, when you tell them, you know? That's right. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't actually speak to anybody or interact with anybody with Parkinson's for two years after I was diagnosed. And it took mm. that amount of time to try to you know get my head around it and because in my work you see we would see a lot of people coming into the emergency department with advanced parkinson's and i just didn't want to i just didn't want to mm. look at it i didn't want to look at it i could mm. i couldn't look at it i couldn't look at it no, no i can so and what's um, that like so when, when you have a patient with parkinson's do you tell them hey uh, you know i'm in the same boat uh, i know what you're going through or is there some is there some um rule or guideline that says you're not meant to to divulge no no there's no there's no rule i mean i i would uh, i would see them in the wardrobe and then maybe come back um you know after i finish and just say you know sort of you know I, i've got parkinson's as well and we have i usually sit down and have a good chat to them for 10 or 15 minutes so it's really um it's uh anyway, i'm in a unique position to be able to do that and it's um it's just it's nice to be able to you know you learn from everybody you know everybody's got something that, that they've learned that you can benefit from with the Parkinson's, and I think that's that's an important thing to thing to remember. Really, you mentioned the Parkinson's Excellence Network, and um, they're doing some great work about taking meds on time in hospital and stuff, aren't they? Yeah. So um, there's four four work streams, national work streams at the minute. Uh, one of them is time critical medication in hospitals. So, you know, the figures are very low. So I think it's forty two percent of people in hospital said that they got their time critical medication every time when, when they were in hospital. So we've done a lot of work trying to um, you know get that on the national agenda and I think we were getting there. So the Royal College of Emergency Medicine are running a three-year quality improvement project starting now in November 
this year that's going to look at any person with Parkinson's who comes in the emergency department, whether they get their levodopa within half an hour of when they need them. We've also, last year, we, we ran a campaign for chief executives to pledge that they would do everything within their trust to try to help people with Parkinson's get their medication in time. And then that was phase one. Phase two is launching in September. Come up with 10 recommendations that every hospital should uh, implement that will, if they do that, will ensure people with Parkinson's in hospital get their time-critical medication when they need it. Just explain that scenario. Is that is that because if I'm admitted to hospital, I'm, I'm, I'm not responsible for the administration of my own Parkinson's drugs? It's effectively taken over by the hospital. Well, so that, that's, that's the key point. So some there's a big drive for people to self-administer their own medication if they can. So if you or Dave or me pitched up to an emergency department, you know, I would not be wanting anybody to take my medications off me. I would be like gripping mm. hold of them and you know, yeah, absolutely. not letting anybody rip them out yeah. of my arms. And, um, you know, I think the NHS needs to realise that people who are living with a condition know more about their medications than any doctor or nurse who's working in the hospital. And therefore, if they're complementous and they're able to take their own medication, they should be left and be allowed to do that. And I think there's a big, this is why this quality improvement project is really important because it will drive that change. It will drive self-administration. So if you're in the emergency department or you're on the wards, you know, and, and you're, you're able to take your own medications, you should be allowed to be responsible for them. You know, that's a massive change in culture because people are trained to take medications off people when they come in and give them back to them, but they don't give them back mm-hmm. to them when, when they need them. And that, that mm-hmm. just, just causes so much. I mean, we know what it's like to wear off, you know, we're, we're reasonably mm-hmm. fit, sort of 40, 50-year-olds. 50, 50 but, you know, for somebody who's 70 or 80, sitting in a hospital bay, waiting yeah. for their Parkinson's medication, you know, and not getting it for hours, it's just, it's just not right. It's very and stressful. It, 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 makes, makes you, it makes symptoms worse as well, doesn't it? The more you think about it, the more Absolutely. the worse, you, you, worse symptoms get. I, I'd freak out if somebody took my medicine off me. I, you know, yeah. it's my... Yeah. I, I, I couldn't live without it. Exactly. I mean, it's interesting what you say, Kuhn. I mean, I, I, I really was struck by that Jekyll and Hyde comment that you made earlier because mm. I always say it's like being two different people. It's, it is mm. like being two different people. And, and the crux of it is, you know, if I'm being totally honest, I don't like I don't like the person I am when I'm off. I just, no. I just, I just don't like him because I think he's got a bit of a short fuse. He, um, you know, gets very self-absorbed. It's just, I just don't, I just don't, just don't like it's him. Interesting, you say that because I, I, I find myself, my personality has changed somewhat since, um, since I've had Parkinson's. I notice it more uh, during off periods. Um, I tend to be quite short with people. Yeah, I've got a sharp tongue. Yeah, and um, Helen bears the brunt of it a lot, lot of the time, and uh, you know she, she's learned to realise that actually that's uh, it's not my my default personality, this imposter, uh, that's uh, you know there quite a lot of the time, you know has taken over my personality, uh, and I, I'd agree with you, you know I, I don't like that person, and uh, I'd rather they they go away, but that's the reality of it, and yeah, um, yeah I, I hear what you're saying about um, a different person, a different personality, and um, n- not always. To be liked, but um, I, I try to remember it. You know, that's that's no, not. It's not the me. real you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wonder when, when with the Parkinson's Excellence Network. I was thinking it might be quite good to do something like a pack for when you diagnose, because when I was diagnosed, I was never told about exercise 
diet, anything. They just handed me some pills and that was it, you know. I got levodopa straight away. I didn't go on it, but I had a really bad experience when I was diagnosed. And I think we'll need to go into that. Was your experience different, Johnny, because you were in, in, in the medical profession? Did, was the conversation different? Yeah, well, I'm not sure. I mean, the diagnosis conversation was slightly different because whenever the neurologist sat me down after I'd walked up and down the, the clinic, he said, he turned to me and he said, Johnny, you need a DAT scan. Now, I you know, went to every lecture in medical school. I never heard, I never heard the term a DAT scan. Yeah. I didn't even know what it was. But my wife was sitting beside me and she, she was a, she's a psychiatrist. She ordered DAT scans in her memory clinic every week to determine if somebody had Lewy body dementia or not. So she, she leaned forward to the neurologist and said, he doesn't know what that is. So I think that was his way of telling me I'm telling that I had you. Parkinson's yeah. without telling me. And, uh, and then he, he sort of looked me in the eye and he went, well, you've got idiopathic Parkinson's. So my wife knew what the diagnosis was before before I did. But he, he, he I, I still remember, I mean, you never forget what they said, don't you? So he said to me, you know, it's very mild. It's very mild at the minute. He said, um, exercise is really, really good. It, 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 it helps. Um, you know, there's loads of research going on. Who knows what will happen in the next 10 years. Um, I'm going to start you on razzling. You don't need levodopa at the minute, and um, you know that was that was pretty much it. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about uh, you can remember the detail about that. Uh, I call it D-Day, diagnosis day. Uh, I'm the same, I, and uh, I think a lot of people are the same. Not only can they remember the date that they were diagnosed, they could probably remember the time. Right. I certainly remember my time, quarter past nine in the morning. Do, do you recall what time of day it was for you? Yeah, it was eight minutes past two. Yeah. No, yeah, I, remember, I remember. I remember really clearly. Yeah. What was your Dave? Sorry. Nine forty-seven in the morning. Yeah. Right. Before. But it, it is. It is one of those days that you will never forget, and um, you know, it's a, a, akin to a trauma. I, I think. Yeah. At, at diagnosis, I think there's such a big psychological mm. aspect to it that that I don't think it's addressed at all. I mean, it's like mm. it, diagnosis is like a bereavement. You know, what, why why are people with Parkinson's in this country not do not have access to you know like two psychology or counseling sessions at, at diagnosis within within six within mm. six months? That I mean that certainly would would have helped me because it takes time to, to to process it. And I think the other thing is that's really difficult is that your neurologist diagnoses you, they they can't tell you what your progression is, but mm. you know if in the future they can, that that would have a that would have a massive effect. You know, we, we know that early onset Parkinson's doesn't progress as, as quickly as, as late onset Parkinson's, greater than 70. You know, we know that people that are, that are, that are tremor dominant have, have less cognitive issues than people that, that are non, non-tremor dominant. And I think, you know, they say, you know, from a progression point of view, if you look, the best way to look at it is if you look behind, it shows potentially what's in front, what's ahead. So, you know, if, you, if, I, if a neurologist was able to tell me seven years ago that you're still going to be working you're still going to be driving you're still going to be you know active and fit and do most things that you could normally do you know that that would take a lot of the anxiety away but they, they can't they can't they can't do that and but but hopefully one day they can because i think that that if they could predict progression then i think and you know and all this business about subtyping which one you're in and i think that that would that would really help people Deal, deal with it. One thing that Parkinson's has done for you is made you more creative, isn't it, Johnny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely, definitely has. Yeah, now, that's been that's been a that's been a bonus. 
love love drawn so it's it, it's been really good the, the little brains you're doing things are amazing and the, uh, the puzzle. Yeah. yeah well you've combined that talent with the advocacy work you do as well right quite effectively the images and the visuals are a great way to explain the ins and outs of, of what is a fairly complex condition I think that those those sketches I did about all the symptoms. I think, especially the non-motor symptoms. I think you know, a picture can you know paint a thousand words, can it? So it's, you know, it, it really people really can can relate to them, and people who don't have Parkinson's can try to start to understand what what it's like. We'll, we'll put a link to your, your art page on, on on the show notes. But Johnny, fascinating insight to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Keep on being a superstar. I mean, what you guys do is fantastic. I mean, it's just good to see. You know, it's good. To, it's good. To, it's good to see. Really, really good talking to you. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks back. Cheers. Thanks. Some wise words there from the great Johnny Atchison. Really, really interesting chat, though, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, it was quite a lot to unpick. Um, I, I like the way he referred to us as old hands at, at this. Uh, I think he was. I think he meant you were just old. But uh, no. But you know, given our experience of, of this uh, condition over the years, and it does change, doesn't it, uh, over time? Whenever we talk about things like wearing off, it's not something I would have understood early on in my uh, disease progression because um, wearing off didn't really occur to me until sort of year four, five, six. And I, th- I think a lot of people that newly diagnosed listen to this kind of scratch their heads when we talk about wearing off but you know it becomes a thing over time doesn't it he talked very well about that didn't he i wonder whether knowledge would be a dangerous thing for him because obviously Mm. medical school but he only did a couple of days on parkinson's is it seven years um for medical school and um, just two days out of seven years on parkinson's parkinson's this complex neurological condition two days of training that's quite remarkable isn't it it is considering you know 145,000 people in this country have it yeah. 10 million around the world you know it's it's yeah. it's, 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 it's getting and it's getting bigger all the time so they need more education you, 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 you talk to medical students don't you send George hospital I, I do and i find it particularly rewarding you know particularly that young generation i think the second or third year medical students i do talk at once once a month and um it's great because they're only learn about parkinson's from a textbook when they hear it from the horse's mouth as it were from a patient from from an individual living with the condition and what it means you can see immediately it's, you know it has an impact on them and i think um getting in there early in their education i think is re- really key and we can all do this uh, by just talking about our parkinson's to whoever it is whether it's uh, people in the wider public or people in the healthcare profession i think people with parkinson's have a have a role to play in, in spreading the word well quite often when i go to um, queen square and, and see my specialist he says do you mind if i bring a this medical student mm. and the medical student comes in sits, sits in my parky mm. consultation I, I think it's good yeah, I mean, I regularly have about 12 people sitting in on my consultation. So I'm obviously that it's much more groupies, groupies. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't mind. In fact, not only do I not mind, I, I would encourage it. And every time a sort of a researcher or a medical student reaches out to me for, for something, um, I, I, I always say, say yes, because um, it, it's great that they reach out. It's great that they take an interest and uh, I, I'm more than willing to share. Anything else stand out for you there? Yeah, I, I, I quite like how he recounts his, his D-Day, his diagnosis day. If one kind of remembers the day, the time, you know, it's a real, I think we, we talked about a scar, really, uh, that it left, uh, that, that grieving process. And here's one I thought was particularly interesting, being a doctor and getting diagnosed. Uh, by a doctor, yeah. By a doctor, yeah. I, I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall when the doctor was talking about a DAT scan and he didn't know what a DAT scan was. You know, you can you can only imagine, but also... 
a lot of that story, you know, I could really empathize with. And the more and more I hear these stories, the more and more familiar they sound. It's just, it's like the same film, but diff- different actors I- each time. Johnny didn't know how his patch works. Um, when, when he was first diagnosed, he went on the, the uh, Neopro patch. Mm. And uh, I messaged him and said, keep, keep your hand on it for 30 seconds. Mm. Put it on before you have your shower, not after. Mm. And it really worked for him. And, you know, I was giving do- a doctor advice, which sounded, mm. sounded but sometimes you know more than the doctor when, when you've had it for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, we, you know, we've, we've got... We've had more than two days training in Parkinson's. <laughs> yeah, we've got years of it. Um, and I think, again, you know, that's a valuable experience that we can, we can offer. I think you mentioned about the um, the left-right thing. I think it's quite interesting. The fact that... Um, Might go undiagnosed for a long time. Yeah, exactly. I, I can I can really believe that, actually. It affected your left side, but your left side was like your dominant left exactly. side. Exactly. So, so maybe it was it was more apparent to me. Maybe it was more apparent in, in to the consultant. Uh, I also think the side that you're more predominant in, in, it's got to have a bearing on the type of Parkinson's you, you have as well, right? Given the left-right side of differences in the brain. I'd love to see more research in this area because I, I don't see anybody talking about it. Researchers, you can do something amazing by researching that if you're listening now yeah Kieran wants an answer now I do so get it sorted out tell me this people with Parkinson's do first let me introduce you to Phil Smith alias Phil Jerky who's a stand-up comedian with Parkinson's he's doing regular gigs around the country going down a storm laughing in the face of Parkies yeah I haven't I haven't seen one of his shows I'd love to go along but uh, there's a few comedians in in Parkinson's and uh, it's worth uh, it's, at times it's worth uh, having a laugh about it People with Parkinson's do amazing things. Fellow Parky David Plummer, the world-leading wildlife photographer and friend of the show, has made a film called Shaking Hands with the Devil in the documentary. He travels through Kenya to meet those who've been marginalised, stigmatised and persecuted with having Parkinson's. Here's a little taste of what's in store. It seems like paradise when you first get here, but having Parkinson's disease, this place could be hell sometimes. Most people don't know about Parkinson's. They just still think it is something associated with evil spirits. Initially, I thought maybe it's a witchcraft, because since it does not have a cure. But if you give me a kwamba, he starts shaking. No, they would see that those were the manifestation of, of demons. The young people come and kill you if they are sure you are doing witchcraft. They cut him, they burn, they put on fire. I'm fighting, not only trying to find a cure, but trying to raise awareness. People don't even know what it is. It's only 13 minutes long, the documentary. It's on YouTube. It's well worth a watch, isn't it? Yeah, it's very moving. Uh, and it's a great call to action. Um, it's an eye-opener. It's quite shocking at points. Uh, but also, in a way, for, you know, if you're somebody living with Parkinson's, it's not shocking, unfortunately, because um, to, to various degrees, you know, we all all face stigma. Uh, but of course, what was described in that documentary was stigma to a whole different level. Um, People getting killed for having Parkinson's. Yes, yeah, you know, it's that bad. Um, I don't want to spoil the themes in the documentary, but uh, like you said, it's well worth a watch. And there's echoes of st- stigma all around the world when, when you've got this condition. And it c- comes out in different forms. And, uh, you know, that was an extreme form of it. Well done, David, and the production team there. You've done something really amazing. 
Finally, shout out to Freddie Roach, who's widely regarded as one of the best boxing trainers of all time. He's coached eight division world champion Manny Pacquiao, five time world champion Miguel Cotto, former WBC middleweight champion, and three time world champion James Tony. He's still working the past, despite having Parkinson's for 25 years. Blimey. Some guy. Is this, um, is this a friend of yours? Did you know? I've met him a couple of times. Yeah. 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 Um, I've got a friend called John McDonald, who's the MC. Yeah. And he, he was really good because he came over. Mm. Um, for for a Ricky Hatton fight actually, mm. and um, he, he was struggling a bit. So John gave him his hotel room for, for the day because John's a good guy, and mm. and, and he went, went for a kip and he came back. He was absolutely buzzing, mm. and, and, he, and he, he trained. He's trained fifty world champions in his career. Still, after twenty five years, still doing it. So wow, good for, good for him. Am I right in thinking Parkinson's is a thing in boxing, given the sort of potential yeah. brain injuries and um, things? Pugilistic Parkinson's is a thing, right, yeah. Yeah, right. Muhammad Ali, how much was the blows to the head and how much was the... Pugilistic meaning to do with brain damage or...? Punching. Punching, right. Boxing, yeah. Oh, okay. Pugilism, yeah, the yeah. art of boxing. Oh, right. Quite common, yeah. yeah. You taught me a new word there, Dave. Exactly. It's about... <laughs> well, what do you have about Apple before you go? Uh, <laughs> go on. Uh, all right. Okay. What does it taste like? Uh, I was asking you earlier j- during a break whether it's uh, what kind of apple it was. I'm you, sure it'd be delicious. Hey. Go on, go on. I th- I've got a feeling it's going to be very, very um, bitter. Go on. How is it? <laughs> Tasted better. No, it's nice. Brilliant, brilliant. It's massive. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's your breakfast, lunch and dinner there. <laughs> All for free from my garden. Excellent. Icky guy. Excellent. See you later. Icky guy, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Cheers. Bye. What kind of apples are these? I don't know. Do you never have them? Yeah. Make normally like apple pie with them. Oh, okay. Cooking apples, like? No, they're not. I think they are. But I think they're quite tart, but they're all right. Mm-hmm. You can eat them. A little bit of a tart, aren't you? <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> you were back in the... No, back no, in no. Year. No, I wasn't, actually. Okay. <laughs>